0: Good morning. It's so good to be here. So many familiar faces, friends. You're my family. You're our family. And I know some of you I haven't met yet, but you're my family. You're our family. This is our church home, and we're very grateful to be here and to be able to share uh, just a few days with you while we're back in the States. Um, Thank you. Thank you for welcoming us back And, Nate, I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach this morning. It is always a privilege to be in this pulpit, and I take it very seriously. So, thank you. Um, I got to spend this last week at youth camp. I thought I was done with that, but apparently not. Josh? No, I'm just kidding. It was awesome. It was so fun to be with the kids this past week, and what a great group of young people this church has, as it always has. Um, also got to spend a little bit of time with Lincoln. Um, we roomed together, along with Josh. Uh, one day, we went on a hike, didn't we, Lincoln? I want to tell you a funny story. Savante and I ended up with Lincoln, kind of walking back, and Lincoln, <clears throat> after a couple of miles, we told him he had to walk the whole way. That was, his, that was part of the deal. Nobody was carrying him. Nobody was, you know, it was his responsibility to walk, right? That was your part. We got almost to the end and Lincoln looks up at Savante and says, uh, hey Savante, I got a question for you. Savante says, what? And he says, do you have your driver's license? Savante says, yes. Why? And He says, I'm going to need you to go get the van and come pick us up. (laughs) Just like that. I'm not kidding you. Savante said, uh, no, you're going to walk. <laughs> right answer. <laughs> it was pretty fun. I'm really thankful that my kids got to participate in the camp this week, and it was great. We're in Psalm 117 this morning. One of the shorter Psalms, but just as important as any other part of the Word of God. Psalm 117. While you turn there, I'm going to open with a word of prayer. How about? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to seek your wisdom, to praise you, and to honor you as our Lord. And so together we look at your word to receive from you what you would say to us. I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. Anything good, I pray that you would push it into our lives and hearts and use it for the glory of your Son and the furtherance of your kingdom. I ask this in your name. Amen. Psalm 117 says this, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise The Lord. I took a few moments to rewrite the psalm this week. I thought maybe I could express it in a different way that might add a little clarity to what I want to say this morning. So listen. Praise beauty, everyone. Lift it up, put it on. For great is prettiness to other pretty people and the faithfulness of beauty endures, at least until someone prettier comes along. Praise beauty. Doesn't really work, does it? Let's try a different one. Praise the money, everybody. Extol the gold, all you people, for great is its steadfast lure on us. And the faithfulness of money well, it only lasts until it's gone. Praise the money. Eww, that one doesn't really work either. Just doesn't quite have the same flow. What I'm trying to get at is this: we were all designed for praise. God made us that way, both to seek it and to give it. From the very beginning, when God made man, through all eternity, we will praise something. We are made for praise. Our whole lives are wrapped up in this pursuit of praise, a pursuit of glory. So we are in a constant state of looking for something or someone to praise or seeking praise for ourselves. Let me give you a real time example of what I mean by this. Maybe this will help clarify a little bit. Reality TV. What is reality TV? Reality TV is praise in action. Just shift your focus for a little bit. It's a gauge of what our current culture is obsessed with praising. Just think about it. Beauty. America's Top Model. The Bachelor. The Bachelorette. Those shows are about beauty. Talent. America's Got Talent. American Idol. Fame. The Real Housewives of whatever. The Kardashians. Success, power, million-dollar listing, comfort. This seems to be the one that really we've focused on in the Western culture. Every house remodeling show you can think about. You can have the pool master people, whatever. The treehouse people, those are great. You can build a treehouse that's as good as your house. You can remodel your, or remake your, do you remodel a car or rebuild a car? I don't know. You, you have your car redone, you know, trucks, motorcycles, everything. Why, why do we do this? We praise these things. Listen, that's what it is. We praise these things because we think they are worthy. We've been convinced by the world, the flesh, our flesh, and the devil that these things can what? Satisfy us. Having this kind of life, owning this kind of stuff, having this thing can make us happy. And not only do we praise them, we get other people to praise them with us. And that's really the essence of what praise is. It's collecting others to praise things with us. But there's a problem. Here it is. All of these things are too small. They don't have enough weight. They don't have enough glory. They don't, they that's why when we pursue them, It's never enough, we must build it bigger, we must build it better, we must have more. We're always looking for that next greater experience. Some of us, when we turn inward, we try to make ourselves the center, but the end result becomes a total collapse because we just don't have enough weight. We don't have enough glory. The end result of praising the wrong thing is really one of two outcomes. One, we end in self-destruction. Just look at what happens to some of the modern superstars who collect praise for themselves, and the moment they lose it, some of them lose their lives. But there's actually a worse fate, I think. When we get what we are pursuing, it gives us this false sense of security that lulls us to sleep. We get what we want, we get that thing we're pursuing, and we create the world that we think we need. Comfort tells us that we can have it all. Just think about why are you watching that home improvement show, for example? Why are you always thinking about that next upgrade, that next thing that you could do? You're looking for that place of comfort that really only will be found when we get to our heavenly home. Power tells us we can control everything. But listen, only Jesus holds all the power in the universe. And until we rest in his control, only then will we be truly satisfied. You might think I'm making too much of this, but I think if you will ask the Holy Spirit to really let you dig down deep in your soul and see what it is that you're pursuing, what it is that you're praising. What is it that you're talking about at the water cooler? What is it, young people, that you're talking about with your friends? What is it that you're sharing on Facebook or whatever your choice of social media is? That's what you're praising. Listen, the psalmist says, praise the Lord. But he doesn't just tell us to praise the Lord. He tells us why we should praise the Lord and what we should praise. What does he say? For great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Isn't it interesting that you and I didn't have a single conversation about this sermon and yet the service this morning You, boy, the Lord planned this service. The steadfast love of the Lord. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 is a verse that we often quote in Christianity. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But do you know the rest of that chapter? Lamentations 3. Could I read some of it to you? Let me start in verse 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver, I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness, and he has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How do those two things go together? You know, as I look around this room and I see and remember our friendships and the things that we went through in the 10 years I was here, many of you could have written this Psalm. Many of you have walked the road of suffering and heartache and pain and many of you would say the same thing the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercy is new every morning do you know what the word steadfast means in the scripture i looked for examples all week i tried to find some real life examples of what the word steadfast means you know what i couldn't find any there there aren't any you can't find a real person who exhibits what the word steadfast means. And some of you might say, well, my husband is steadfast or my wife is steadfast. No, no, they're not. I'm, I'm sorry, they're not. I'm not steadfast. We had a fight last night, okay? Sorry, we're not steadfast. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. That's how it goes, all right? No, none of you are steadfast. Only the Lord is steadfast. He is a rock. Let me tell you what it means. There's three ideas. He is like a spring that never runs dry. Get these pictures in your mind. He is a spring that never runs dry. It's thirst quenching. It's help when it's needed the most. When you're in the desert and you are dying of thirst and you find that spring bubbling up. That's him. Some of you have been there. He's like a volcano. Ah, it's a different picture, but it goes together. He's like a volcano that cannot be stopped. Have any of you ever been near a volcano? Some of you have been to Hawaii. Some of you may have been to other places where there are volcanoes. You know, that's not a safe place. You don't want to be near a volcano. Maybe you want to go just kind of maybe fly over, but you don't wanna be near the lava, okay? That will kill you. People who live near a volcano know their days are numbered. Okay, that volcano is coming for you. It's dangerous. It is boundless power and energy. We live on, in Taiwan. Taiwan is a volcanic island and underneath it, the ground is always shifting. We have earthquakes. We live on the 13th floor and occasionally, It rocks. And when it starts rocking, let me just tell you, there ain't nothing you can do. You can grab on the wall, but listen, if the building goes down, you're going down. It doesn't matter. The Lord is like a volcano. There is boundless power and energy. That means that power and energy is for you. There's a third picture. He's like a treasury of boundless resources. You know, it's kind of like the US government. Only, only, there's a difference. His treasury has real gold and there's plenty of it. Some of you get that. Uh, Young people, one day you'll understand. His treasury has real gold and there's plenty of it. It will never run out. Do you have those three pictures in your mind? That's what it means to be, to know, to experience the steadfast love of God. He's a spring that never runs dry. He's a volcano with endless energy and power. And he's a treasury who can meet your every need. Beauty will fade. It will always let you down. Talent, somebody more talented will always come along. Money, it's going to run out. Fame will be surpassed. Success, it's really not all that it's cracked up to be. Power, there's always somebody more powerful. Comfort, its it's just not worth it. All of these things will have their end. They are truly unable to satisfy. Right now, some of you are pursuing some thing, plastic surgery, thinking that this procedure is going to ultimately make you happy. It's not. Some of you are thinking, if I could just get this job promotion, I'm not saying, I'm, listen, please hear me. I'm not saying all these things are necessarily bad in themselves. It's the reason underneath them. You must examine If I could just get this next pay grade or this next salary level, if I could just, how do you fill in that blank? You need the steadfast love of God. But how? How do you get it? How do you get the steadfast love of God? The only way is to set and fix your heart on Jesus. And that doesn't happen just scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and looking at cute memes. Did I say that right? Memes? Memes? I don't know on Instagram, you know. You, you have to, listen, here it is. You have to talk to yourself and quit listening to yourself talk. Did you catch that? You talk to yourself and you quit listening to yourself talk. All of us have this self-talk that happens in our heads. Sh- shut that voice up. And you talk to yourself. And what do you tell yourself? You tell yourself, this stuff. You tell yourself the truths of the scripture. When you find yourself craving comfort, when you start walking around your house and saying, well, I could do this and that, let me flip the TV on, you know, I, I, I really need a bigger, you know, I, I start driving around the neighborhoods and going, well, I should move over here and live over here. You tell yourself about Jesus and you remind yourself that the, that the one, the king of the universe, the prince of heaven, who lived certainly in a better house than you, right? I would imagine Jesus' house was better than anything you live in. And he gave it all up. He left it to move into nothing. He didn't have a home, the Bible tells us. So that one day you will enjoy his home. So you can be a little uncomfortable in this life. I'm gonna tell you why in just a second. Your temporary discomfort here is just that, temporary. It's just temporary. Relax, he's got it. When you start thinking about your body, okay? And listen, body image is a big deal for a lot of us. You start, why can't I lose that weight? Why can't I be more beautiful? Why can't I be more handsome? Why can't I have a flat stomach? Why can't I have more muscles? You know, you tell yourself about Jesus. The Bible says he wasn't much to look at, by the way. Not only that, he was beaten, scourged, spit upon, brutally tortured. So much so that he couldn't even carry his cross. His body was destroyed so that one day you could be given a glorious future body. Set your pride aside. Quit praising these things. When you're contemplating your identity, am I worth anything? Why doesn't anybody care about me? You tell yourself about Jesus, the most worthy, the most valuable being in creation, who on the cross set aside his identity so you could become a treasure. There's one more thing I want you to see in this song. He says, praise the Lord all nations praise or extol him all peoples praise i've mentioned this at the beginning the intrinsic idea behind praise is it's shared when you find something worthy you want other people to notice it that's why when we go see a great movie that's why when we get something wonderful we tell people about it you don't just keep it to yourself Praise is that idea. We say, this is great. Check it out. We, we want people to like our posts. That's the idea. That's praise. And the psalmist is saying, the steadfast love of God. Get other people to notice this. How do we do that? What do we do? We, most of us, unfortunately, we're treasuring trinkets worthless things, and we're trying to get people to notice that junk rather than the truly valuable things in the universe. Listen, this church, this church is amazing. This church is, uh, Daniel, you, you, uh, listen, this church was mission-minded before I ever got here, so please don't give me that kind of credit. This church has been on mission for a long time. But all people doesn't just only mean the people on the other side of the world. All people includes our neighbors, the people who stock the shelves at Walmart, Target, United, the worker who cleans your workplace, the refugees who have shown up here, the immigrants who are here, legally or illegally, I might add, Whether you feel they deserve rights or not, I'm not speaking politically, they're still deserving of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we, well, how does this message get to them? Tonight you start vacation Bible school. So let me just speak practically about this. I wanna just take the rest of our time and say this. I don't even know how much time I have, so sorry. Coming to Christ is joining a family. We know that, most of us in here, if you're a Christian, you know that because you're in the family. But think for a second about what it means to be outside the family. What does it mean to be brought in? My observation is that most Christians, we we want to share the gospel. We've even been trained to share the gospel. We have motivation to share the gospel. We even have a lot of evangelistic tools to share the gospel, but we don't share the gospel. Why is that? Let me help just shift your mindset a little bit. How many of you can remember back to elementary school or maybe middle school? Just go back with me. Some of you, it's not too long ago. Just go back with me for those of you who are older. Do you remember, did you ever change schools? during those days? I did, my parents moved a lot. I remember going to a new school and walking into the class. How did you know, let me ask you a question, how how do you know when you actually belong? How do you know when you actually belong at a new school? Is it when the teacher starts to call on you? Is it when the coach you know, let you choose the dodgeball team? Is it when you take first chair away and banned from Susie Hornaker? Nope, nope and nope. It's when you have a place to sit at lunch and someone to play with at recess. That's when you know you belong. A place to eat and someone to play with. is that right, Bama? That's how you know you belong. That's what it means to be in a family when you have a place to eat and people to play with. You know you belong. So how do you know if you're in the family of God? You get invited to eat and invited to play. No one on the outside wants to feel like somebody's project. You remember when the new kid showed up mid-year and the teacher assigned somebody in class to be the guide you know the helper oh we have a new student Johnny can you show him around I mean what a bummer that was to be assigned that job yeah I gotta leave my friends and go help this guy out and you don't know if he's cool or not so you kinda gotta do that whole thing we've all been there you can't wait till Johnny can connect with somebody so then you can leave him on the playground and go back to your friends The best example of this is adoption. And this is where it really gets cool. None of us, listen, friends, none of us started out in the family. Not one of you. I don't even care if you were born in this church. Guess what? You still had to be adopted in. You still had to be adopted in. You may have even grown up here. You may you were still adopted into this family. Now, adoption is an interesting thing. Think about it. Someone who is not a natural child gets made a child with all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of a natural child. Everything. The only natural child in God's family is Jesus. He's the only one who has the real rights and privileges, but through adoption, we get the rights and privileges. But sometimes, listen, Sometimes church people act like they were born naturally and treat the new people like they were adopted. Ouch. Do you remember the movie Annie, Little Orphan Annie? The one with Carol Burnett. That's the best one, okay? Do you remember when she got taken to Daddy Warbucks' house? And she was so worried about what happened to the other kids. She wanted them to be adopted too. Listen, that ought to be our mindset as Christians, like that. When somebody else shows up at the table, we ought to be saying, can you believe it? I, I got adopted. You got adopted. We, and we welcome them into the family. It's a family. It's not, hey, could, could you... So did you sign up for the class? Did you? Well, it's if you make it through the class, you know, if you can just stick it out for a year, then we'll, then we'll see. You're on temporary probation. No, we don't do that. We bring people in to our family. We welcome them in. Let me just give you a biblical example. Just think about Jesus and how he treated people. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the true outsider, even though he was a Jew. He was an insider, but he was an outsider, and Jesus does what? He brings him in. He makes him family. Then Jesus tells a parable at a different point. He tells a parable to tax collectors, sinners, and religious leaders. Let me ask you a question. Why is it in a couple of places in the Bible, we're told that those are the people who like to be around Jesus? Tax collectors, sinners, and the religious leaders all are hanging out around Jesus, I think it 's this reason because Jesus was the center of love in the universe people couldn 't they just had to be around him because they felt accepted and loved in a way they didn 't find anywhere else. Jesus tells us parable about the prodigal sons the, both of the sons were outsiders, and at the end of the parable, Jesus relates that both are invited in. One comes in and one we're not sure about. Praise the Lord all peoples all nations. Extol him for great is his steadfast love toward us. His steadfast love toward us. Do you see it? Do you see how you were adopted? In order for you to be adopted, someone had to give up their place. On the cross, that's what happened. Jesus gave up his place at the table so you could be invited into the table. Jesus was rejected as a son so you could be accepted as a son. He was turned away from the table of blessing so you could be sit down at the table of blessing. When you really get that down deep in your heart, you won't have any trouble sharing the gospel. Because it will be the one thing that you praise the rest of your life. You can't help but talk about it. Praise the Lord, all peoples. Praise the Lord, Trinity Baptist Church, for great is his steadfast love toward you, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We are We are in awe of what you have done to bring us in, to call us your children, to love us. And our response must be to give it away, to take this good news and to share it, to praise you and to bring others to praise you also. Pray that you would take this and move it into our hearts in such a way that we are changed for the gospel and for your glory and our good. We love you, amen. I'm gonna turn the service over to Nate now.